Okay, well, if we can just uh, bring everybody back together. So it's uh, great to see you all um, this morning. Uh, and uh, we come to the part in our meeting when we hear from God's Word. Uh, so we're going to have God's Word read, and uh, then we will um, preach um, from that passage. And as many of you will know, we are drawing to a close a um, sermon series this morning in Matthew's Gospel called Who is Jesus? And this morning we come to look at the King who sends... And we're going to be thinking about Jesus as the king who um, sends us out into the world. So really glad that uh, Matilda Clues has agreed to read the scriptures for us this morning. And uh, so she will come up and uh, read the passage for us. And uh, thanks, Matilda. Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 33 and can be found in your bulletin. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Thank you very much, Matilda. So I would like us to start off this morning by uh, winding the clock back a little over 200 years and uh, listening into a letter that was written by a young man called Adoniram Judson. Uh, so Adoniram Judson, he was planning to go out to India and uh, what is then called Burma uh, as a, a missionary. But before he went, he wanted to get married to the love of his life, who was a young girl called Anne. And uh, you can see a picture of uh, Anne um, there on the screen. And uh, as was the custom in those days, he wrote to Anne's dad to ask his permission as to whether he could have her hand in marriage. And uh, these are some of the words that he wrote. So he wrote, I have to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring and see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her expo exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the climate of uh, southern India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insults and persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? So, if you were Anne's dad, <laughs> how would you have responded to Adoniram's uh, letter? For those of you who are dads, for those of you who are dads of daughters, uh, would you let your daughter get... Uh, married to a young man um, like this who is uh, pr proposing this um, for your daughter's um, life. So I wonder how this letter um, strikes you. For many of us, I guess, it may sound very, very unusual indeed. There is no way that uh, we would consent to the kinds of hardships that it proposes. But yet those actually were the kinds of hardships that were willingly embraced by Christians of a bygone era. Uh, and they are also the sorts of hardships, actually, that Jesus speaks about in our passage this morning as we come to look at the king who ascends. 
Um, last week, of course, we saw that Jesus commands us to pray that uh, he would send out workers into the harvest field. And uh, this morning, we see that Jesus uh, builds on that by commanding us to go. And as we go, he gives us instructions on what we are to do and uh, what to expect. Now, uh, probably as this passage was uh, read for us a few moments ago, you already picked up that uh, this kind of passage is highly countercultural indeed for us to be reading in our culture. We are deeply programmed, I actually think, to resist anything that we think may be hard or may even be uncomfortable or inconvenient for us. Uh, We're often uh, reluctant, for instance, uh, even to have awkward um, conversations. But uh, if we are Christians, uh, we are those who need to hear uh, all of God's word, uh, even the hard bits, uh, even um, the bits like what we're looking at this morning. So if we're Christians, uh, we need to hear what Jesus has for us uh, this morning on this whole subject of discipleship and hardship. Um, And so let's get into our passage then. And uh, I think the um, um, first thing that we see is that we are to identify with Jesus in his mission And uh, we see this actually from verse 1 down to verse 15. So previously, uh, if you're here last week, we saw that the harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few. And so Jesus rectifies this, if you like, by sending out his disciples uh, to do the same uh, mission um, that he had. So if you look there at verse 1, we see that Jesus gives his disciples authority. It says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Uh, That expression there, to heal every kind of disease, um, is an expression, of course, which we we saw um, last week was also used of Jesus and his ministry. Then uh, a little bit further on, so uh, verses uh, 7 and 8, Uh, Jesus says to his uh, 12 apostles, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Again, this this is exactly the same mission which Jesus had, just as Jesus had proclaimed the good, the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, just as he has proclaimed the good news and authenticated his own mission by various uh, miracles and good deeds, so now Jesus' disciples, he's saying, are to do exactly the same as they go out into the world. Now, of course, we need to say here that uh, some of this is historically specific to these disciples and is not transferable to us. So, as we were reading this, I think it's fairly obvious, for instance, that the command to only go to the lost sheep of Israel there in verse 6, or the command not to take any extra clothes or extra uh, money for the journey, there in verses 9 to 10, are not commands that are actually directly transferable um, to Christians now. In fact, I think one of the first applications of this passage, maybe for us, is that we always need to read the Bible in context. You need to remember that just because you read a command on the pages of the Old or New Testament does not necessarily mean that that command always directly applies to you. You need to remember that passages like this were written for us to learn from, but were not necessarily written to us for us to obey every single detail of every single um, command. We need to sort of uh, interpret them in context and uh, understand them um, rightly. So I think we interpret this passage wrongly, for instance, if we say that Christians ought to be expected to cast out demons or that Christians ought to be able to heal every single disease and infirmity that they come across or that Christians ought to be able to raise the 
dead. That, I think, would be a wrong interpretation of this passage. Nowhere else in the New Testament uh, leads us to expect that Christians will be able to do those kinds of things. Now, it is true that as this chapter goes on, the commands become broader and broader. And especially you'll have noticed after verse 15, I think it becomes clearer that they are for all Christians everywhere. But this first section is a good reminder, I think, that some things in the the Bible are actually uh, historically um, specific. However, I also think that we have some transferable principles here from what Jesus says, which are relevant to our mission as Christians as well, that we are still, if we're Christians, to identify with Jesus' mission in the world. And so let's um, run through a um, few of these briefly. First of all, I think we can see that Jesus calls ordinary people. Jesus calls ordinary people. And I think we can see that from the list of the 12 disciples there in uh, verse 2 to verse 4. So we're introduced really briefly to Simon and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and then Judas Iscariot, who was the one who betrayed Jesus. And I think what strikes us here on one level is that all of these people were really different. They all had different uh, income levels, different occupations, um, different backgrounds, probably different educational levels too. Uh, We could also think of the fact that uh, Matthew, uh, the tax collector of course, uh, would have been a collaborator with the Romans, whereas somebody like Simon the uh, Zealot, well, he would have been part of the insurgency that was against the Romans. They had uh, very very different uh, political views but yet they were all called by Jesus to be his followers. I think the main point really for us is that these were all basically ordinary people. This was a cross-section of society at the time. It's exactly the same for us. Uh, Jesus calls ordinary people to him and to be part of his work. Then I think we also see here that we have an authenticated message. So we've already seen that the way that the apostles... Uh, and Jesus authenticated the message was by signs and wonders. However, the way that we authenticate the message as modern-day Christians uh, is a little bit different, and not so much by signs and wonders, although of course we mustn't limit God, and God is still uh, easily capable of working in those kinds of ways. But rather, our message is to be authenticated by our lives and what God has written down in his word. So it's as people look at our lives see the difference that God has made to us uh, the difference to our priorities our ways of approaching things maybe how God has changed us and they know from that that the message is actually true our lives are to authenticate the message Uh, I guess people can also read about Jesus and the signs and wonders that he and the apostles performed in the Bible Uh, and they see that Jesus is really the one who he claimed to be and uh, why we should worship him of course God may still choose to do amazing things, may still choose to heal people, for instance. But even if he doesn't, we have historical accounts of Jesus that are written down for us. Um, It says over in the Gospel of John uh, that we may believe. Then I think we also see that we are to expect mixed results. And so uh, moving ahead to verse 11 to verse 15, Jesus says that his disciples, as they go, go out two by two, will get mixed results. Uh, Some people will receive the message and welcome them in. Others will reject the message and refuse to listen. And so Jesus says that it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for those towns. 
Jesus, I think it is, um, saying that these tones in Israel have seen more. They have seen more of Jesus. They have seen more miracles. They've had more revelation from God. They've been able to learn more about him. They've had more opportunity to repent. And so they are more liable for their response as a result. And so hopefully you can start to see just um, some of the ways here that we are to identify with Jesus' mission. Uh, Our mission is actually essentially the same as uh, that of uh, Jesus and the apostles uh, in its broad outline. Jesus calls ordinary people like us um, to be with him. And then Jesus sends us out into the world with an authenticated message, the message of the gospel. And we are to expect mixed results. Some people will listen, others won't. And uh, we are to um, expect that. Jesus' disciples here were only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we're told that we are actually sent into the whole world. Uh, Jesus says in the Great Commission, in uh, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, the important thing is that Jesus doesn't just save us, Jesus also sends us out. Jesus has a mission for you When we become a Christian, that's not the end of the the road. Rather, it's actually the beginning of a new road and a new life where we are sent out into the harvest field. And so really, the main question for us is, uh, are we on board with Jesus' mission for us? How do you see yourself? Do you only see yourself as somebody who is um, saved by Jesus? Or do you also see yourself as someone who has been sent out by Jesus, like we were saying last week, as a worker? Um, Do we see ourselves as those who are sent by the king to continue his compassionate work among the lost and needy people of our world? As we saw last week, there's much need uh, here in Hong Kong. Have we realised that Jesus has a mission for us, both as individuals and as a church within that? And he wants us to identify with him and with the work of the gospel in the world well if Jesus has a mission for us what is that mission like and this moves us on to our next point uh, where we see that we also may need to identify with Jesus in his suffering so uh, one of the the things we can always say about Jesus is that he is always very realistic about the cost so there's never any small print Um, that we need to read so far as Jesus is concerned. Uh, Jesus is always upfront and honest with his disciples and uh, anyone else as well um, who was trying to follow him about what they could expect. Of course, there's lots of benefits and encouragements as well, as we will see. But Jesus is honest about the cost, uh, the cost of being identified with him and with his people. And so, uh, verse 16 to 25 uh, we see that he talks about a couple of specific costs that we may encounter. And the first one he mentions is physical danger. I think uh, we can essentially see that um, summarized there at the start of verse 16, where Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, in preparation for this, I decided to go online to see if I could find a picture of sheep among wolves uh, to put on the screen. Uh, But of course, I couldn't find one. 
couldn't find a picture online anywhere. And I'm sure the reason is they're either far too gruesome, uh, or I'm sure the reason is because no sheep among wolves has ever lasted long enough uh, for someone to actually take a picture. And so instead, we're just going to have to make do with a picture of a wolf and a picture of a sheep. And you can imagine uh, what happens if the animal on the uh, right ends up amongst uh, a group of the animal on the left. My children actually have a book about who would win uh, between two different animals having a fight. Um, But I realise that it has no chapter in it on sheep and wolves. Uh, There's a chapter in it on a gorilla versus a python and and those kinds of uh, um, things, but there's no chapter in it on sheep and wolves. The reason? Uh, Well, it's really obvious. Uh, The wolves would win every time. I think Jesus' point here is that being a Christian is dangerous. Being a Christian is dangerous. There are parts of the world when you can be arrested and you can be put in prison for being a Christian, as Jesus goes on to say in verse 18. There are other parts of the world where people uh, can be betrayed by family members and even killed for being Christians, as Jesus says uh, in verse 21. In fact, there are people in this church whose families have said that they don't want anything to do with them anymore at all because they have become Christians. Now, uh, hopefully those things are relatively rare. Uh, We aren't to go out uh, hunting for persecution. But Jesus says that these sorts of things can happen uh, and so we need to be aware of them. If we are Jesus, follow us. Uh, We need to count the cost. That includes reckoning with the threat of physical persecution uh, in some parts of the the world. Uh, Even if that's not happening here to us um, right now, uh, we at least need to be um, ready for it in terms of our minds. But then uh, we also see here that Jesus mentions another cost, uh, which is maybe more likely for us, which is what we may call um, a slanderous accusation. And so let's pick up Jesus' teaching here in verse 22, uh, where Jesus says, um, these words, it says, you will be hated by everyone because of me, uh, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So I really just want to pick up on the theme of slanderous accusation and the uh, last verse there, verse 25. Uh, There were obviously some people that were saying that Jesus is Beelzebul, which is another name for the devil. They were basically accusing Jesus of either being the devil or being in league with the devil. And so they were basically saying that um, Jesus is the embodiment of evil. That's what some people were saying about Jesus. Uh, We know from the previous chapter that it was the uh, scribes and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders in Israel that were um, saying things like this. Uh, So we read in chapter 9, verse 34, for instance, where the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So they're basically saying that um, Jesus is doing his uh, ministry by the power of the devil, the prince of demons. Uh, The religious leaders of Jesus' day, when they were speaking about Jesus, said that Jesus was evil that he was the embodiment of evil. And so here, Jesus is saying that if they are saying those things about him, then they will also end up 
saying exactly the same things about those who are identified with him as his followers as well. A student is not above his master. Uh, Again, Jesus is saying that if we are, are Christians, we may have to identify with him in this particular form of suffering. Uh, If people slandered Jesus, then we can surely expect that they may end up slandering us as well, because we are identified uh, with him. I think it's worth bearing in mind that we live in a world, especially in the West, uh, or areas heavily influenced by Western culture, where people increasingly see Christians as evil and a force for evil. Of course, it's true that there'll be a variety of responses to Christians, often depending on people's experiences, maybe. And, um, of course, there's some people that may see Christians in a much more favourable light than others. Um, But yet it's increasingly true in elements of Western culture that Christianity is often seen as something that is really bad, maybe damaging to your mental health, perhaps, maybe not safe. And therefore, for those of us who are Christians, there'll be a great temptation to keep our mouths closed about being identified with Christ. I came across an interesting um, thread online uh, this last week entitled, Is Christianity Evil? And uh, here is what uh, one person wrote. Personally, I do think that Christianity is evil because it directly harms people under the cloak of love. Would a good religion place 51% of all humanity, women, as subservient? Would a good religion demonise normal human sexuality? Would a good religion chronically abuse children and then hide that fact? Would a good religion lie to people about an afterlife without any evidence? And then they conclude, Christianity, in my opinion, is evil. Now, of course, we may want to argue that uh, lots of those things aren't, in fact, true. Uh, I would want to argue that Christianity is actually good news for women. I would want to argue that the Bible's view of sexuality is, in fact, good and liberating. Uh, I would want to argue that, of course, child abuse scandals ought not to be covered up. And I would want to argue that we believe in an afterlife for really good reasons. Yet that doesn't alter the fact that this is actually how many people out there really think uh, that Christianity is evil. That is the world uh, in which we live. Even if this is not the immediate world in which you live, this is the world in which many members of our church live. And I think it's helpful for us to acknowledge that and be sensitive to the pressures that that brings. Being a Christian in our world is not easy. And Jesus tells us to expect that if you are following him, if you identify with him, then we may have to identify with him in his suffering. Like Jesus says here in verse 18, you will be brought before kings and governors on my account. It's because they were identified with Jesus that they were brought before um, kings and governors, like we see with the Apostle Paul in Acts. Or in verse 22, you'll be hated by everyone. Why? because of me, because you are identified with me. Jesus is saying that if we are identified with him, then we may suffer for him. Of course, we'd all love to opt for a nice, comfortable Christianity where we just keep our our heads down and we don't attract any attention and we can just simply get on with our lives. But Jesus himself says that that may not be possible. If we are attached to him, then we may at least get some of the same treatment that he got. And so what are our expectations of the Christian life? Of course, this will always be the case. Uh, In this same passage, Jesus says not to worry about these things. 
He will be with us. He will give us the words to say through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's there in verse 19 and 20. And we know that justice will eventually be done. The um, Son of Man will come. But Jesus says we mustn't be naive. We're to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Um, we are, need our eyes open to the fact that in many parts of the world, including sometimes even here in Hong Kong, being identified with Jesus uh, will come at a cost. And then I think uh, all this uh, moves us on to our l- last point, uh, which is that Jesus will identify with us in his glory. So we need to remember that the Christian life is not just about hardship, but there are encouragements as well. And one of the main encouragements is that if we keep going, then Jesus will identify with us. So I guess uh, we see this most clearly there in verse 32, where Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And what a great encouragement this is for us. I think the main thing that often keeps us from being known as a Christian in our class at school, or that keeps us from being known as a Christian about maybe in the workplace, is usually fear. We're afraid of what everyone will think, and so we keep quiet. And so how wonderful to remember that if we stay faithful to to Jesus, uh, if we acknowledge him, uh, maybe that we belong to him, then he will identify with us in glory, which is where it really counts. Uh, He will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. And so I think it's significant here that three times uh, Jesus tells us not to be afraid so I wonder if you uh, notice that it's there in verse um, 26 uh, Jesus says do not be afraid of them it's there in verse 28 Jesus said, says do not be afraid and it's there as well down in verse um, 31 so don't be afraid three times here Jesus tells us this morning not to be afraid and so I'd really like to close with this um, three reasons uh, therefore why we shouldn't be afraid and the first reason is because Jesus will vindicate us. So this is verse 26. Obviously there were people plotting against Jesus. Uh, they were talking about him and his followers behind their backs. And so Jesus says, Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And so Jesus is basically saying here, everything will come to light in the end. People may be plotting against you, they may be talking uh, about you behind your back in the workplace at the moment, but one day who they are and what they are doing will be exposed and put right, and the kinds of people that they are will be obvious to everyone. If you think about it, this is really true here in the life of Jesus. Everyone looked at the scribes and the Pharisees and they thought that they were so holy and so godly. But yet, eventually, actually, they were really exposed. And now everybody knows that they were the ones that were really anti-God, that they were the ones that were plotting against Jesus and wanting to have him crucified the whole time. They were the ones who were really opposing God. Uh, They weren't godly at all. And so really, Jesus is saying it's exactly the same for us. Now, don't worry about those who plot against you or speak ill of you uh, or speak of you maybe behind your back. One day what they are like will be exposed and everyone will see them for who they really are. Don't worry, because one day Jesus will vindicate you. 
Number two, uh, we see that Jesus will rescue us. And I think that's really the main idea behind verse 28. So, in verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so what Jesus is really saying here is, uh, okay, someone can kill you, and that may be really bad, but actually that's the worst thing that they can ever do to harm you. The one who's really worth fearing is not them, it's God. Uh, He's the one that has the power of life and death in eternity. And if we know Jesus, then we can be confident that we will spend eternity with him. And therefore there's no need really to be afraid of people. If we are Christians, Jesus has taken care of our greatest need, our need for eternal life. And okay, someone may make life hard for us now, they may even take our life, but yet eternity with Jesus is much, much greater, and that is really worth living for. We can acknowledge Jesus now, confident that Jesus will acknowledge us when it really counts in eternity. Then uh, number three, a third reason why we ought not to worry about what other people think is because Jesus will care for us. So verse uh, 29 to 31, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. Uh, You are worth more than many sparrows. Um, so this really came home to me uh, over this last week uh, there were a number of things about our move to Cambridge over this last week that really seemed to be hard work and that were not uh, working out it was very easy to begin to doubt God's care yet as I was studying this passage uh, what a great reminder it is about uh, how much God cares for us uh, the argument is uh, from the lesser to the greater so if God cares for the sparrows who are just sold for a few pence in the market, uh, and if he even knows when they fall to the ground, uh, how much more does God care for those who are his precious and redeemed children? God knows us better than we know our, ourselves. I think that's the uh, purpose there of the bit about uh, he knows the number of hairs on our heads. Uh, which I know is easier for God to cope with some of us rather than others. But the point is that God knows everything about us. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. Our times are in his hands. He knows our needs. He knows what we are like. And he cares for us. We are valuable to him. And therefore, Jesus is saying that we can acknowledge Christ surely without worrying about what other people think. Uh, If you are a Christian... Jesus is caring for you. It is always good for uh, anyone to do a bit of bird watching. And uh, the bird there on the screen, just for your general education, that is a Eurasian tree sparrow. Uh, These are the kinds of sparrows that we get here in Hong Kong. Um, Just so you know, they're not the same as the house sparrows that you would routinely see uh, if you were in the UK. These are Eurasian tree sparrows. This week, if you look really carefully, when you're eating your lunch, when you're looking out your window, when you're wandering around perhaps, you will probably see some Eurasian tree sparrows. Uh, When you do, remember that Jesus cares for the sparrow. Uh, He knows when each one of these little guys falls to the ground. But more than that, remember that you are more valuable than many, many sparrows and that Jesus cares for you. See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus cares for us. 
unworthy though we are, so often wandering away from Jesus, dead in our transgressions and sins, often uh, keeping quiet and even letting Jesus down, that God sent Jesus Christ to earth to die for us and give his life for us so that we could be forgiven and come to know him and be the recipients of his care. And so know this morning that Jesus cares for you. There are many implications of this, but at least one of them is that you can acknowledge Jesus with confidence. Be known as a Christian at school. Be known as a Christian in your workplace. Be known as a Christian in your neighbourhood. Be known as a Christian amongst your family. Uh, Identify with Jesus in his mission with confidence because you know that he cares for you. You are worth much more than many, many sparrows. And so, may we identify with Jesus in his mission, may we identify with Jesus in his suffering, and may we one day be identified by Jesus uh, when he comes uh, in glory. And so, if you're someone who's a Christian, I do pray that you are encouraged this morning just to simply keep going with Jesus. Jesus cares for you, and although following him it may not be easy, it is always worth it. This is uh, especially something that we see in the lives of Adoniram and Anne Judson, who we started off with, and uh, there they are again uh, on the screen. In the end, Anne's father did give permission for her to get married to Adoniram, uh, even although he never ever did see her again. Uh, two weeks after getting married, they travelled to India and what was then Burma. Uh, Anne got pregnant but had a miscarriage. Uh, She then had a baby uh, who then died uh, when he was only eight months old. After that, her husband was arrested and imprisoned because the Burmese wrongly thought that he was a British spy. Uh, Anne moved into a hut near the prison so that she could do a much better job of caring for him and bringing uh, him and the other prisoners um, supplies. Uh, During this time, unfortunately, her health declined and she never really recovered, passing away when she was just 36 years old. Was Anne's life wasted? Well, Anne's life was definitely hard. However, she also translated the books of Daniel and Jonah into Burmese. She was the first Protestant, actually, to translate any part of the Bible into Thai. And actually, the bit that she translated, interestingly, was Matthew's Gospel. She pioneered the fight for rights for Burmese women at a time when they had none. And now, 200 years later, there are 4,000 Baptist churches and half a million Christians amongst the people that her and her husband reached. In fact, the Christians who we serve over at Christos Mission in Thailand are the direct spiritual descendants of the work of Adoniram and Anne Judson. And every, every year in those churches, they have a special day when they give thanks to God for how the Judsons brought the gospel to them. It's a great reminder that identifying with Jesus in this life can be costly, but it is ultimately worth it. And we can keep on serving Jesus uh, and loving him with confidence. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to give thanks for this passage and the message that it has for us this morning. 
We give thanks that Jesus is indeed the King who sends. And we give thanks for all that we've been learning about Jesus uh, through these um, sermons and talks that we've had from Matthew's Gospel. Um, Father, may we love Jesus more, and we, may we even be willing to suffer hardship and uh, even persecution for Jesus' name. Father, we give thanks that when Jesus sends us out, he doesn't just leave us on our own, but he cares for us. Uh, he promises to be with us, to give us his spirit, and even one day to identify with us as we identify with him. So Lord, we do pray that you would help us to be brave, uh, help us to witness for you, help us to be those who are willing to endure hardship in our discipleship for the sake of Christ. And like uh, Adoniram and Anne Judson, uh, may we one day reap a harvest and not give up. And uh, we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.